Ladies, y'all may go ahead and sit down, and I'm going to pray for us. Father God, how sweet it is to be together. Lord, to slow down and to worship and to consider your grace, which is so, so sweet and so undeserved. And Lord, we commit this time to you. We thank you for gathering us. And Lord, I pray that you would still our hearts and quiet our minds. And Father God, that we would hear as Anna shares with us and speaks to us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Lord, as, Dawson, as all of you, as Dawson said, we are so excited to be together. I know y'all are. We've been waiting a long time for this. Um, and it's just really sweet to see so many faces out there. We started Feast Night Famine about six or seven years ago, and the idea was to have a time before the rush of the holidays got upon us to really be able to consider what it means to feast as we are with our families, as we celebrate a time of Thanksgiving, but more importantly, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, that we would not suffer the famine of unmet expectations because times with family in these circumstances can be really fun, but it can also be really hard. And as the women who are keeping everything going and making everything happen, sometimes the people around us don't exactly meet the expectations that we have. But God still wants us to feast during those times with our people as we gather. And so we are so excited to be here tonight. My friend Anna Nash is going to share with us. Anna is the founder of Beacon People. She has a passion for helping women to discover what God has created them to do. She first came on the scene here probably 10, 11 years ago when we did Julie Sparkman's Idol Addiction Study, if any of you remember that and how it affected us in so many great ways. Anna was Julie's handler back then. And um, thanks to Anna, Julie got here and had most of her notes together. So um, we are so thankful. But Anna and I have remained good friends since then. And I'm just, she is a sweet sister in the Lord. And I'm so thankful for her and just really thankful that she would come and share with us this evening. So Anna, come on. Great expectations. You're already clapping. (laughs) I'm so thankful right back at you, Ingram Link. Yeah, 10 or 11 years ago, Ingram and I sort of had a rediscovery of the gospel in a new way through Julie's teaching and just both being ignited together and becoming more free women um, launched so many opportunities for Ingram and me together to do kingdom work. And many of you have been with us in tow. And so we thank you for just doing kingdom work and building the kingdom with us. I tell you, if you want to find a friend that depends on God, very, very strongly find someone to do kingdom work with because you're on a journey that's aligned with what God's called you to. And it's just made us so close, and I'm very, very thankful for Ingram. Um, I want to thank my mom and my daughter for being here tonight. Um, 
both of their names are Jane. Um, my daughter is named for my mom, and I'm really appreciative. And the first two stories I'm going to tell y'all tonight are about my, my mom and about my daughter. So I, 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 a few people have known that I was going to be sharing tonight, and they're like, well, what's your topic? You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holidays. What's the topic that, you know, Ingram has given you? And I've said, um, alive and famine. And they kind of go, hmm. Like, I think they're expecting, like, how do you celebrate Christmas traditions or all the joyful talks we could give around the holidays? And I'm like, nope, we're going to talk about alive and famine. <laughs> um, I, if you're like me and something tells me that you are, this is exactly what we need tonight. Exactly. As we all find ourselves in places of famine. So we're going to start. I'm a big definition girl because all of you or many of you are Bible Belt girls. And when I say certain words, you're just going to let it roll off of you because you've heard it so much. And so if you do any of my studies, you will find yourself looking up very common words in the dictionary because I want to slow down and chew on these words. So we're going to start by defining famine and feast. A famine is extreme scarcity of food, ravenous, a great shortage. A feast, on the other hand, is a large meal typically in celebration of something special. See, basically what we're talking about right now, I think you're already connecting with me. These are your needs and God's provisions on a soul level. And I know all of you Bible Belt women, I say this a lot because it is my desire to scratch you up and challenge you on what you believe and why you believe it and to get down to the nitty-gritty, to really get traction with these um, Christian lingo words that we talk about a lot in the church and in the Bible Belt. And so I threw it out there right now, and I said to y'all, come on, girls, let's talk about all of the scriptures where God says he provides for us. Oh, y'all could start popping them off. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And how about Matthew 6, where he talks about the lilies of the field and the birds and that they're fed and clothed and he takes care of all of them. Well, while those are good and wonderful promises, and we're so thankful for those common ones that we all have come to know and love and claim, tonight um, I'm going to take you on a journey. And I'm really excited about it because I'm going on the journey with you. Uh, the journey tonight will be to take you off the mountain of where you see your needs and God meeting your needs and providing for you and take you down into a valley. And then we're going to go to the ascent. We're going go to go to the summit of another mountain. It's my desire that as you leave tonight that you will see your needs and God's provisions in a radically different way. That's been my prayer for you. Um, and I'm excited about that. So I was born, and many of you know my story, I was born at St. Vincent's Hospital about three or four miles from here um, at 9 a.m. on Christmas morning. Aww. Um, every time I pull out my driver's license to show my license to someone or have to give my date of birth, it's as if they're the first one that's ever known. They're like, oh, your birthday's on Christmas. Um, and, and so many people say, oh, that stinks. But um, I, I was given the honor of a mother who knew that that might be a little bit of a challenge for me. 
And so from the day I could remember, she made me feel like I was so special, like God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Because I get to celebrate the birth, um, my birth with the birth of Jesus. And so thank you, Mama, for doing that, wherever you are. Um, So I was born with some significant um, problems. I was born with a, a severe cleft lip and palate. And if you had told my parents that I would end up and grow up to be a communicator, they probably would have said there's no way that could happen. But you see, they also believed in the promises of God. So when they brought me home from the hospital, I was teeny tiny, and I had so many needs, as you can imagine, so many needs. And my mom was so faithful to just feed me around the clock and try to get me to a birth weight where I could finally have surgery, where I could eat and talk and do all of the things. And her dear friend, Maggie Cook, when Mama brought me home from the hospital, she came to um, our house, and she brought this sign. I want to show it to you. And she brought this to my mom to claim over my life as a newborn. And it says, he faileth not. And don't you love it? It's the fall leaves right now that we see outside. Um, But all around this little green border, it's got scriptures all around. And I'm going to have it at the table, so I want you all to come and see it afterwards. It's a little tattered on the back. It's Psalm 68.3. My eyes fail. Genesis 47.15. The money faileth. Joshua 3.16, the waters failed. Psalm 109.24, my flesh faileth. Isaiah 31.3, they all shall fail together. But he faileth not. I'm going to say this a few times during my talk. And I want you to listen, and I want you to memorize this, and I want, when you wake up tomorrow morning, I want this to be on repeat in your head. Where he ordains, he sustains. Where he guides, he provides. He faileth not. And something tells me that since I was born on Christmas, and since they hung this over my bed and prayed this over my life, and God answered so many prayers of my friends and family that love me, I just feel like I have a special assignment tonight to tell you about the God that I've come to know. He is pretty amazing. So they made these Katie Caldwell. I wish she was here. I would just hug her because she, she and Ingram took the scriptures around my talk and created these beautiful scripture cards that y'all can have to put around. This is one of my favorite things to do is to put scripture all around and in my pocket. And we have more scripture cards over at our Beacon People table if y'all want to come grab some more. But our three scriptures tonight, um, I'm going to read the first one. So put on, remember, we're going on a journey, and I'm going to help you see your needs in God's provision in a new way. And the first scripture I'm going to mention to you is where we got the title of this talk, Psalm 33, 18, and 19. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Where he ordains, he will sustain. Where he guides, he will provide. He faileth not. Jeremiah 31, 25 is our second scripture that says, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. Every languishing soul I will replenish. That is a promise, and you can claim that promise. I want to define the word languish. 
I want you to identify with the word languish with me for just a minute. The word languish means to lose or lack vitality or life. Do you know I read that in the mental health um, profession, we have some wonderful counselors here. Let's just give it up for our counselors. We need you desperately. And we need you again tomorrow and the next day, <laughs> the next day. But um, it's, a, it's a mental health term, and it describes a symptom of languishing. And it means when they see someone who is, who is experiencing a life of great despair. That's the definition of languish. So on our journey tonight, I'm going to ask you some questions. And the first question is, where are you languishing? Where do you feel like you might be in great despair, or you feel like something might be about to happen that will cause you to despair. But then replenish the promise assures you that God is going to fill you up and give you life, give you vitality. So where are those places? So right now, you might be thinking, oh, Anna Nash, you think you have needs. You don't know my life. And I'm going to say up front that need and famine is a very, very relative term. I don't dare to think that my life is harder than any of yours. I'm sure that many of you have very, very trying circumstances that I could not imagine ever having to face. So I want to say this from the get-go. These promises and these truths that I'm talking about, they cover it all. They cover it all, y'all. I heard a funny thing on the news not too long ago about some college students who went, um, who were protesting about a particular issue that they believed in, and they decided to go on a hunger strike to really let people know they, they meant what they said about this issue. And the way their hunger strike was going to work was they were not going to eat until they were really hungry. <laughs> yep, here we are in America, Right? So hunger is a very relative term. Um, So as we go on the journey, I want to ask you, not only where are you languishing, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. I'm talking about this in my own life. Where are you needy tonight? How do you come to this sanctuary? Are you open and willing to maybe crack the door and look at those needs in a new way? Have you turned your back on whether or not God would ever answer that prayer? What is that thing that you've been waiting on for so long? And it just seems like it will never change. It just seems like God is not going to come through after all because he hasn't yet. All of these places, y'all, all of these places. So I'm going to start with telling y'all a story about my daughter. So about five years ago, my daughter was falling in love with my now very much adored son-in-law, Adam. And Tyler and I could tell that they were falling in love, and he was beginning to have, like, lunches and coffees with Tyler, and the writing was on the wall that he was about to probably ask for Janie's hand in marriage, probably getting pretty close to popping the question. But you see, this wasn't my timing at all. While we loved Adam and we were so excited to think about him being a future member of our family, we had come through a horrible financial crash with the real estate crash in 07 and 08. We had nothing. If any of you know my story, it's on Storytellers Live. Give it up for Storytellers Live. But anyway, um, 
it, y'all, we, we had lost everything, and we had built a tremendous house that we had enjoyed for five years, and it was being threatened to go under foreclosure. My husband lost his job. He was getting depressed. We had four children in high school and college, and we were sinking fast. Not a good time for your daughter, your only daughter, to get engaged. Not a good time to plan a wedding. Not only we didn't have a savings account, much less that extra little account that you should do for your daughter's weddings. And my husband adores our daughter, as I do, and all he wanted to do was give his, her da- our daughter a wedding. But she didn't care. She was in love. They would figure it out. But we wanted to give her a wedding, and we knew she wanted a wedding. It did not make sense to me. And I thought, oh, no, this is the time. God's not going to provide. How are we going to do a wedding? They got engaged, and I was just like, okay, Lord, how are we going to do a wedding? I couldn't even pay the bills, y'all. I was so anxious and worried, and Janie was so in love, and I was trying to make everything okay like we moms do. Well, in the process of losing all of that property that we had invested in and that when the market crashed, we had invested to flip some properties in North Alabama. There was one teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny piece of dirt that didn't sell and we didn't lose. And it had been sitting there for years. And we would think about it every once in a while, but it was not worth putting on the market because it wasn't worth anything. And Sometimes I would say to Tyler, maybe we could do that and pay off that bill. Or maybe we could do that and help with the school or whatever. But it really wasn't worth anything. And, and we never really thought about this land. Well, do you know two weeks after Janie got married, someone called my husband and said, I've been looking in the tracks and in the paper and all the real, whatever, all the stuff. And I see that you own this land. And I want to buy it from you. This was two weeks after she got engaged. And Tyler said, okay, sure. Like, we were shocked. Like, do you want to give us 500 or 700 for it? <laughs> it was just like nothing. And I don't mean 1000 I mean $500. Anyway, so, um, y'all, he ended up making a very small off- offer on that land. That The land was really, in its prime, was worth so much more than that. But Tyler came home that day and said to me, we're going to be able to give Janie a wedding. And y'all, the most amazing thing about that is I wanted to sell that thing and pay off bills for years, and I didn't understand. Like, that's just sitting there, Lord. Well, you see, he had a plan. That was God's little savings account because he knew that Janie was going to get married. He knew that we would need that money right at that moment. And so we were able to give Janie a wedding, and it was an 11-week engagement. I could tell you so many stories about God's provision. But you see, um, where he ordains, he sustains. Where he guides, he will provide. He faileth not. But a precursor to see God as your provider, you must first come to your places of need and hunger. You've got to really dig down and deep, dig down deep into your soul to go, where am I hungry? Our tendency is when we're lacking is to suppress it or try to fix it on our own, and all the while sort of conceal it from those around us, regardless of whether or not it's physical need, tangible need, or needs of your soul. That's just our tendency as humans and our pride to figure out 
how to do it on our own, and don't let anybody know around us. I haven't told this story very much, so my mom might not have heard this one. Um, (laughs) It was during this time that we were living in this beautiful house, but we were about to lose it and um, lose the house and lose our minds and maybe lose our marriage, but thank the Lord he sustained us again. Um, And we literally, y'all, had hardly any food in the refrigerator in the pantry. Um, I learned how to cook on a dime, and we did not keep stocked at all. We weren't doing the big Sam shelf like we used to do at all. And one time I was having friends over and family, and I opened the refrigerator, and I was like, oh my goodness, if they open the refrigerator, they'll see. They'll see that we have nothing. I can't let them see this. And so I jumped in the pantry, and I pulled things out of the pantry that would sort of work in the refrigerator, like the extra bottle of ketchup and maybe the tuna fish can. And, and then I went into the, the plastic containers, the ones that were like opaque, you couldn't see in, and I literally snapped lids on those containers that were empty and put them in the refrigerator so that when my friends and family opened the door, they wouldn't worry about us. You know, that's the tendency, right? To just go, I'm okay, I'm okay. But see, we rob God of so much glory when we don't express our needs and dig down to our hungry, hard-hurting, famine places so that he can be glorified instead of Anna. So I'm going to ask you another question on our journey right now. If you were to receive provision from God today in one way, what would that be? This is just to keep to yourself. If you were going to receive tomorrow morning, you woke up, and God will have answered that one prayer, what would it be? Are you tracking with me? I know what mine would be. I want us to all be on this journey together. Do you feel it? You know the thing, right? There are two types of needs. I didn't read this anywhere. In my mind, this is where two types of needs come in. Number one, physical needs, our tangible needs, financial security, good health or healing, a relationship being mended, finding more meaning in life. These are the kind of things I'm talking about. And this is where these scriptures got come in, that God does promise to provide food and shelter and a roof over our heads. But when... In those areas, was it hard for you to trust? When were those moments that you felt like you were on, God was on the verge of letting you down? His timing is very, very hard. My husband says a lot. He's seldom early, but he's never late. Seldom early, but he's never late because of your faith. That's the walk of faith. Right about the same time, Um, when the wedding, the house, the containers, the ketchup, same time period, Anna and Tyler were broke. Um, My youngest son had an afternoon sport, and I would pick him up at school, and you know how the mothers do. We take the snack and the Gatorade in the car, and we pick them up, and we take them to practice. Well, this was a particular day that literally I did not have a snack for Banks. I didn't. I didn't have two quarters. I, y'all, I know this is hard to believe, but I, I had nothing to take the child. And y'all know how it feels as a mom. You want, to, well, you want them to feel safe and secure, right? And you want them to feel provided for. 
And so I just stood there and I thought, Lord, this is the time. If I can't feed him a snack, again, this need is relative. We're not in a third world country and there are people that say, wow, you got a snack. But anyway, um, but I was so disappointed with God and I just stood there in my kitchen and I said, I don't want to go pick him up. And I'd already played the game a lot of calling the mom and saying, you take snacks today, I'll take them next week. I'd done that a few times. So um, I just stood there and I said, Lord, it just feels like you're letting me down. We need provision. We need money. I wasn't asking for a snack, but we just need provision. And so I got in the car. And if you've ever needed money, you check the mailbox a lot because there could be refunds or rebates or coupons or things you weren't expecting. And so as I left, I saw the mailbox and I thought, I should check the mailbox. Maybe God's about to answer my prayer. With a very expectant heart, I opened that mailbox. Lo and behold, I kid you not, I pulled out a shiny cardstock promotional ad for a nature's own granola bar, and the bar was stuck on the card, the free sample. And I sat there and cried. I could not believe that God that thought that much about me. I could not believe it. I think that granola bar was better than a $100 bill that day to me because he cares. First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all of our cares upon him because he cares for me. <clears throat> Sometimes needs, though, tempt us to doubt God. So, very often in my own life, I place judgment on God by looking through the lens of my circumstances. I'm going to say that again. Oftentimes, I look at God and I size him up based on how everything's going on around me and what prayers are answered and what prayers are not. And I say, I'm not sure he can be trusted. I'm not sure he sees me. I don't feel very loved today. And so what happens is, in that temptation to do that, we, we've got it all backwards. It's that our circumstances are out here and we put the face of God in between us and our circumstances and our needs. And the desire would be, based on these scriptures, that we look at our needs and our circumstances in light of who God is, in light of his character and the God that we've come to know. Where God ordains, he sustains. Where he guides, he will provide. He faileth not. That is the God that I've come to know. And I invite you to see him tonight with me. Let's look at that scripture again, the Psalm 33 scripture. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. There's that word, fear of the Lord. If I were to call you by name one at a time up to the microphone and say, could you please get up and just tell us what fear of the Lord means? Everyone would like to know. What does that mean to you? I'm going to give it to you in simple terms. It's what I was just talking about. The fear of the Lord is understanding and knowing the true character of God and what he says about himself and his word and living your life based on that. That is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is honor and reverence and respect like Moses in the burning bush. Oh my goodness, he just put a granola bar in my mailbox. That's the kind of God who sees you and knows you and loves you and he cares about your fill in the blank. He cares about you. 
the desire would be to shift your focus tonight as we climb up the other side of this mountain from your cares to the caregiver. Because I get so worked up about my needs and my desires and my longings and my unmet expectations. And I get, I'm just so focused on that that I forget who God is. And so we're going to shift from our cares to the caregiver. <clears throat> now we're going to talk about the best part of all, and that's your spiritual needs. I have a friend named Maki. She's Japanese, and my husband and I own a coffee shop called Anova, and I'd like to invite all of y'all to come and have coffee with me anytime. There's a young Japanese mother that came into our shop, and I befriended her. She had just moved to America, and she was pregnant, and she and I became fast friends, and many of you were such good friends with Maki, and I thank you. Um, we talked to Maki a lot about Jesus, and now Maki's moved back to Tokyo, and we miss her very much. But she kept a note on her phone of all the things Anna Nash would say a lot that she didn't understand. And every once in a while, she said, can we talk about my list? Because she was really trying hard with her English. And I said, sure. And so she would say, T you say this a lot. Something is on the tip of your tongue. What's on your tongue? <laughs> and one day she said to me, getting to our point, she said, um, you say this a lot. You are emotionally needy. <laughs> she said, what does this mean? And I thought, well, okay, here we go. So this is where I'm taking you right now, to your emotionally and spiritually needy places. These are the needs of your soul. Here again, what is your soul? Your soul is every part of you that can't be touched or seen or felt. It's the part of you that relates to God. What are the needs of your soul? Maybe we can first by talk about, we can talk about um, how you feel and your emotions when those needs are not being met. You might feel in turmoil, in doubt. You might be full of fear, unacceptance, sadness, guilt, worry, brokenness, shamefulness, unworthiness, insecurity, vulnerability, anxiety, grief. Are any of these words connecting with you? You would probably find all of these words in my journal. The best way to see God's provision is first to define those places of need. Define those places of need. Where are your funds insufficient? Where have you come to the place by saying to God, I give up, I surrender, I can't do this anymore? You can, and I can't. I had a prayer closet in a certain season, and I didn't even know what to pray. Do you know about those times when things are so hard? And you're like, I, I want to pray, but I don't know how to pray, but I just want to be with God, but I don't know what to say. And I wrote on a poster board, I can't, you can. And I went in there every day for a while and sat in a chair and looked at the poster and all I said was, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. Because you see, where he ordains, he sustains. Where he guides, he provides. He faileth not. So here's the good news about all those sad, hard words that we're experiencing. 
Oh my gosh, I've got to go fast. I got carried away with my stories. Okay. <clears throat> this is the first scripture. This is the first bit of really good news. Since we've compiled this long list, this sorry record as a group of sinners, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by means of Jesus. That's Romans 3 in the message. And then Philippians 3, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then my favorite, 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The gospel is really, really good news for hell-deserving and broken sinners like you and me through the person and work of Jesus Christ and what happened that day on the cross when my terrible, sinful record and your messy record was swapped for his his permanently perfect, holy record. That makes no sense. Nothing that you did or you will ever do can earn that. And that is grace, my friends, and that is good news. It makes no sense that I can walk home tonight and be full of disbelief and anxiety, and all it takes is a moment, a breath of reconnection with God and repentance, and I'm right back. Y'all, that is really, really good news that doesn't make sense, but I'm so thankful to be able to bring this to you tonight because every one of the issues that we're broken sinners in need of are met through this person on the cross. And the provisions that he brings to your soul are peace, hope, love, joy, assurance, righteousness, security, salvation, worthiness, redemption, forgiveness, and eternal life. You can find out about a lot about this by reading about the life of Jesus in the Christmas Matters book. So come by the table because this has been mine and my friend Katie Shelton. This has been our mission to look at the life of Jesus in the book of Luke and see how he brought these words to everyday people like you. And we're just like them as well. And so he brings it to us. Where he ordains, he'll sustain. Y'all are going to start saying it with me in a minute. Where he guides, he he faileth. But we need a perspective shift one more time because all these things still sound a little like, yeah, we know about all this. Um, So I'm going to talk to you in closing, about three new ways to look at your needs. We're climbing, we're almost to the top, we're almost to the summit. Number one, he's your creator, and he made you to be a person who needed things. He made you a person to crave things. He made you a person to desire things. He made you an individual to long for security. Why did he make you that way? And Titus 2.14 says, He made us for himself. He made us that way so that we could find everything in him because he knew that in finding it in him would be our most satisfied place. Does that make sense? So he made you needy for himself, knowing that when you came to him, your desires would be met, your needs would be met in ways like you never knew before. 
Augustine says, we all know this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Okay, the second thing I want to share with you that's really, really exciting is, guess what? If you want to know God more, your needs can teach you new things about God that you've never seen before. All of you out there that have been in desperate, desperate places of need, you know what? You know God in a deeper way than some of the others around here. Because the more desperate you are, it opens up a world of things to see about God that you would never know apart from those places. The deeper discovery of knowing God is found when we deeply experience our own hunger and greatest needs met by his all-sufficient care and love. You see, when he provides, he grows bigger and bigger and bigger in your mind. And then he grows bigger and bigger and bigger in the minds of people around you as they hear your stories and they see the faithfulness of God in your life. These opportunities make much of him. Your Christian Bible Belt phrase for that is bring glory to God. You're magnifying God when you open up and share your needs with others and God meets you in incredible, unexpected ways. You're making much of him to everyone around you. And then the third shift, perspective shift, is guess what? Your needs build a bridge to be more connected with him. I want to pray more, don't you? I want to be more aware of God, don't you? I want to practice. Okay, I just love this section. Can y'all just say it a little bit louder? Amen, amen. I want to know God more. I want to be aware of his presence. And guess what? With my needs, that gives me little pathways all day long to connect with him. And that's really, really exciting because I want that. I was so long to just practice his presence all day long. So our needs build a a bridge for us to be more connected with God. What if you really did see each little need and each big need yet another new pathway to God, to see him in a way you've never seen him before? My mom always told us about James 1-2 in the J.B. Phillips Bible. And I never understood it as a little girl. It was very curious to me, but now this makes sense. When all kinds of trials and temptations enter your life, don't resent them as intruders. Welcome them as friends. And that's exactly why. I'm going to close with a, a short poem by Annie Flint that some of you have heard before. He giveth more grace when burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love hath no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Last short story, same house. (laughs) About that same time I was standing at the sink washing dishes and I looked out at my two little boys playing in the yard. 
Whoever had that little boy here whistling tonight, this is the story you're supposed to tell him that I mentioned to you. Um, And I looked out in the yard, and I was so deflated. And Harrison Banks were out in the grass throwing the football, third and fifth grade, something like that, throwing the football, laughing, playing, rolling around the grass, having the time of their life. They didn't know, and they didn't care. They just were assured that someone was going to be feeding them dinner that night. They were not bearing up under the burdens that we were, that Tyler and I were as their parents. They were free little boys because they knew that their needs were going to be taken care of. And as I looked out there and saw them, I said, God, help me to be like that. Help me to be just playing in the yard, knowing that you're going to bring the next meal and help us pay the next bill. The way I love to look at it is it's all there in his storehouses. He's the one who's choosing how to disperse it. It's not whether or not it's there, y'all. All of your provision, it's all there. That's what we choose to believe. And his timing is a way to connect with you in the way and when he disperses it. But I also want to mention that there are some really good things coming up. Right? With Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's some moments of joy and happiness and richness and provision. And those things as well are little pathways to connect with God. In sorrow um, and in plenty, we're so thankful that as we gather this Thanksgiving, let's remember that we feast, that when we feast, this too points us back to God, remembering that He is the giver of all good things. Both in famine and in feast, we can be fully alive as we connect to the giver of life, the bread of life, our sustainer of life, and our friend for life. And remember, where he ordains, he, where he guides, he, he faileth not. Mm -hmm. Thank y'all.